geography matters, especially if there's a massive cost saving when you have to maintain or clean just, you know, one area of the town. Our systems are as simple as any other business that, that does something similar to what we do. We have our maintenance team. We have our cleaning team. Uh, we have those that typically the grounds people, if it's if it's motels larger than 20 units, we have someone on the grounds at all times. So that, that person doesn't necessarily need to be maintenance trained. That person does not need to be someone who knows how to do drywall. That person doesn't need to be someone that knows how to do, but they do need to coordinate with our maintenance and cleaners. They do need to pick up after others. And you just basically have this motel that thrives as more of an apartment complex without all the actual leases, lease agreements, we don't do those. And, and just cleaning people that come and clean up or maintenance guys that come and maintain when, they, when we need them. You're listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast. We're not here to bruise your bananas with guru sales pitches, overrated fluff, or any other kind of monkey business. We simply provide the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. All right, gorillas. Today we have a special show for you all the way from Arizona. We have Andrew LeBaron and Jacob Amezqua. These guys are with Iron Toro Capital. They invest in hotels and motels all across uh, Arizona, Texas, and Florida. They've uh, closed on three motels, and they got the fourth one under contract, and they've also done an eight-unit in Texas. Uh, today's show is brought to you by From Middle Class to Millionaire Facebook group. Guys, all that we ask our listeners to do is pay the taxes. What is the taxes, Andrew? Like and join the Facebook group. <laughs> That's right. If you, if, you any, if you nailed it, dude, no delay at all. Boom. <laughs> Get in there. You hear, you hear taxes and you just freak out. Yeah. Yeah. You want to run away. <laughs> best, best Facebook group in real estate on the planet. Jump in, get networking, find deals, find money. Yeah, it's the best group, man. Get in there. That's right. If you get any value out of today's show from Jacob and Andrew, hit like on Spotify, um, iTunes, whatever it is, and jump on Facebook, join our group so you can network with these guys. All right, fellas. So I hit the wave tops of the intro, but I want to dig a little bit deeper on how you guys got started, how you two met, and uh, and and how you got to where you are today. Right on. Well, we actually met a long time ago. Uh, we met almost a decade ago in the mission field. We served yeah. a mission for our church, and where were what, what area was it, Jacob? Was it Rahway in Chile, Southern yeah. Chile? Yeah, yeah. So Southern Chile, I think, where we actually. We're serving in the same area was Rawway. So it's in a, in a city called Osorno, which is about what four hours south of Santiago, I think. Right. Yeah. Chile's this long, skinny country in South America. They speak only Spanish, and we were just two dudes down in the in the south sharing the gospel and having lots of fun and doing our thing. And we just always jive. We've, we've always been friends. And uh, after our missions, came home. He got married. I got married. Um, uh, he's got him and his wife have a couple kids. I, I have three kids, my wife, and, uh, I got into real estate. He went down the track of, um, college and graduated and worked at these prestigious big companies. And, um, I went through the school of hard knocks, got beat up, got crushed, um, leaned some properties, went into some massive debt of 5.3 million bucks, couldn't pay it back, almost went to foreclosure, tailspinned, 
Um, and then found myself back on top by keeping, keeping my head down and grinding and pushing forward. Then I partnered with Jacob here recently and we started buying these assets and it's been awesome. So, um, I guess that's our, that's our story in a nutshell. On a nutshell, so he just kind of glazed over the 5.3 million in debt, right? <laughs> there's, there's nothing to unpack there. Was this a no, nothing to unpack? <laughs> no, um, this was this was actually only like three years ago. Um, I I leaned all my rental properties to get a big fat loan to buy a portfolio of 45 houses, and I fixed up and sold all but 13. And these last 13, I ran out of money and I didn't have any backup rehab funds. And it was just a nightmare. I had a loan balance of 1.8 million to pay off. And collectively, these 13 properties were probably only worth like two, two million something. So it didn't have a ton of equity either. So I was in a world of hurt and the, the hard money payments were around 18 grand a month. So I hung on for about three or four months and I had to let go. And I went to the lender who's a friend of mine. I said, Hey, I can't do this anymore. He says, well, my partners and I have to foreclose on you. I said, okay, you got, you got to do what you got to do. But if there's a way we can avoid it, he said, yeah, we could do a deed in lieu of foreclosure. So I gave him back the deeds of all the properties, but I never got my original properties. I leaned back. So all my rentals that I leaned to get the title loan, so to speak, I lost those. So moved in with mom and rebuilt from the ground up. So that was, that was a very humbling experience. So I'm guessing at the same time, Jacob's over there watching you like, all right, he's, like, learned, I, all I, I, he's <laughs> learned all the lessons. Now it's time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. Cause that was, that was three years ago, right? Yeah. It's crazy in real estate, just how quickly you can bounce back. So we just applied for a business line of credit. We just opened a business checking account and Andrew opened up the books to me and I could see his financials and he makes more now three years later in a month than most people make in a year. And so that's, that's just the nature of real estate and um, how just how quickly you can bounce back and how things can compound so quick. And so Andrew, these were single family portfolios that you were purchasing and, and basically correct me if I'm wrong, but buying them, uh, renovating them and, and flipping them. That's correct. Okay. And so you went from that because the kind of the normal progression is to go from that into multifamily and then some people branch off into hospitality, but you went kind of straight into hospitality. What made you make that jump and, and why the hospitality space? You know, it's funny. I didn't even mention another business that I own. It's called buymoretime.com, just like it sounds, B-U-Y-M-O-R-E-T-I-M-E.com, which is a Airbnb management company. So we, we've been doing that for about six years. I actually had that company even when I went under. That company kept me alive when I went under, actually. And we just manage Airbnbs. We manage them in three countries, Netherlands, Canada, US, seven states here. And we just have a team, a ton of software and a lot of great processes and standard operating procedures and everything else that makes a business great. And we manage Airbnb properties. Um, we got so good at it and we, we built the company to scratch our own itch because we had our own Airbnbs. I was buying single family homes to turn them into Airbnbs and also rentals. I ran into the 45 property portfolio. I went under and I had this other company kind of keep me afloat, buymoretime.com. So that was keeping me afloat. And I was able to bring myself back above water. And I bought apartment units and fourplexes 
duplexes. I bought a six unit and I just started experimenting. Okay, why don't I just run turn these into kind of short-term rental units? What if we what if we created short-term rental units out of these? What what would happen? And we found out that we were making two to three times more the market rate rent. And it really depended on the area and the saturation and all that jazz. But long story short, we got so good at what we're doing that we decided to put my company in charge, buymoretime.com, of managing virtual motels. So we have two motels that are run virtually. Um, no one's on the grounds. And it's all ran by technology and by virtual assistants in the Philippines. The actual motel, you walk up to the door, you you see a sign that says, please call this number if you're interested. Simultaneously, we have a camera on you at all times. So we know who's coming in and who's coming out. Our team's alerted. It's all connected by software. And we thought, okay, why don't we do this on a larger scale? What if we do this with multiple motels at one time? That's what Jacob and I are doing right now. We're building these motels. Of course, larger, larger motels still need someone inside the grounds or on the grounds. Um, but I know I went through like four different tangents with you just there, but um, long story short, I do have a history of hospitality. So because of that history of hospitality, I felt much more comfortable jumping into the hospitality realm. No, it makes sense. Essentially, you're, you're taking economy of scale of multifamily and applying it to short-term rentals. But I, I do have a question before we get into that. Why the name buy back more time or buy more time? It was an incredible domain name that my business partner and I um, came up with. And we looked it up online. We found out it was only for, it was for sale for like 2000 bucks. And we just thought, why do we do what we do? We do what we do to buy time. The time's the number one most essential, um, most essential currency we have. We, there's nothing else. You couldn't tell me, you know, um, money, this, that. I mean, it, it's all about time and autonomy and freedom. When you have the cash, oh, I'm back. Sorry. When you have the cash, you're able to buy that time and do what you want when you want. So we knew Airbnb owners and those who run motels or run short-term rentals didn't have a lot of it. We noticed that they would complain. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta check my inbox. I gotta help this guest. I gotta, I gotta figure out this plumbing issue. I gotta restock all, all these supplies, these sheets, these linens, these, this toilet paper. You know, it's just so much work. So we thought, okay, cool. What if we were to cut down the amount of hours to zero that you spent on it? What do you mean? Yeah, well, you go on, a, you go on a trip, go on a vacation, go do what you want, but don't give up your profits. Well, yeah, there's, there's rental company, management companies out there that do this for us. I said, yeah, for a percentage, you want to give away 20% of your Airbnb income? No, I don't. Okay, great. We built this company for us because we are operators ourselves. We have Airbnbs, but we want to do it for a flat rate. That's what we did. And we built that company. It's been doing really well. So now we're, we're turning, or we're not turning, but we're, we're branching out and we're putting that over the motels we buy, which we didn't think it would work at first. It's kind of an experiment, yeah. but our motels run virtually now. It's really weird you, to walk into an empty motel where you get an automatic uh, code to enter your, your room when you pay. You know, it's, it's a very strange world, but that's the, that's the, I guess that's just the reality of our of the technology that we have today in 2022. So, and Jacob, you were working for what I read like a $20 million steel company, right? Um, yeah. And yeah. What, what, what got you into this was, was it the idea of buying back time or are you, are you full time in this right now? Or you have a W2 job? 
So I still have a W-2. Yeah. So yeah, I guess my story, I, I went to college, went to Brigham Young University, graduated communications, and then I went to 3M. It's a big Fortune 100 company. I did marketing there. Um, I eventually shifted to being a product manager. Uh, I managed a big portfolio. It was like almost a half billion dollar portfolio of software products that they own. And so I, I got a lot of leadership experience there. Then I, then I jumped to Experian, the credit bureau. Okay. And uh, I was a product marketing manager over their line of products. And now uh, I'm with a company, they're called WeMFG. They're a metal manufacturing company in Southern Utah. And I'm VP of sales and marketing now. Um, and so I've, I've had a lot of really good corporate experience, but um, I think just like a lot of people that are listening to the podcast or that are in your Facebook group, um, you know, you work so hard to build somebody else's company is, is what it feels like. <laughs> and so um, I've always been really intrigued by real estate. Um, I've always loved the idea of finding a good deal and getting, getting somebody into a home so that you could rent it out and even doing it for free if you do it right, um, or making a big profit. And so I've, I've always really been, been uh, drawn to it. And then, like Andrew mentioned, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd been friends a, a while back, and I saw that he was buying these motels <laughs> and, and buying these huge properties and, and going bankrupt. I'm like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to I go bankrupt. <laughs> yeah, good line. Good line, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, um, I kind of jumped in last year, and how it all started is I, I took out, um, I saw a couple of people in your Facebook group, they're, they're asking, you know, I have all this equity in my home now. Um, you know, what do I do? I, I want to put it into something. I want to put it into real estate, but how can I make it work? So I, 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 had, I have quite a bit of equity in my home. And so I did a cash out refinance last year and I knew I wanted to put it into something. Um, I thought I was going to like finish my basement and then rent that out or you know, do a down payment into like a bigger home. So I had $80,000 that I took out. Um, and then I met with Andrew and uh, he kind of turned me on to acquiring single family homes and potentially refinancing them. Um, and I was like, yeah, I want to do that. And so I, I studied, you know, everything there is to know about like wholesaling and, um, you know, getting, you know, finding good deals from VAs. So I ended up just right away, I hired a VA and I got a list. Um, and I, I found a home. It was within like two or three months. Um, I found a really good deal on a home in Arizona. It, the home was $50,000. Um, and so I'm like, that's what I got to use. That's what I'm going to use. I'm going to use my cash out refinance to buy the home. So I bought it. Um, and, uh, and I ended up renting it for $1,600. And so bought it for 50 grand. It rents for 1650. Wow. And Andrew actually, Andrew walked me through the whole thing <laughs> and, um, and Andrew actually got it rented for me too. So is that on short term it rents for 16? No, long term. So yeah, leased out for 16. Yeah. That's a, that's a hell of a return. You don't find too many single family homes that make returns like that. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. really lucky. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, at the same time I, um, so that was with the cash out refinance. Um, and I had more equity in my home. Um, and so at the same time, I, I got a HELOC. And I didn't really understand what a HELOC was before I got it. Um, but it's basically just money that sits in your bank until you use it. And if you don't use it, you don't have to pay on it. But if you do use it, then you just pay interest-only payments, at least the HELOC that, that I have. And so I got a, um, a $250,000 line of credit um, from that 
and I used that to buy another good deal that I found. It was actually the landscaper of the first Arizona home. Um, and so I bought it and then I refinanced it, bought it cash at the HELOC and then I refinanced it immediately after. And so um, it just all kind of snowballed quickly, but it, it all kind of started just taking equity at my home and then getting a HELOC and realizing this works and this is really fun. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. And then connecting with Andrew and then, you know, seeing, uh, seeing what he's doing with motels. And then that's, and, and just uh, recently, just a few months ago is when we decided to, um, build a fund, build a private equity fund to acquire these motels. Yep. Awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And, and the, the website, Buy More Time, like that hits home with me. I'm pretty obsessed with time. And for people like you, Jacob, who have higher end W-2, like high, high income earning W-2 jobs, uh, whether it be a, CC, a C-suite executive or a, a doctor, a lawyer, whatever it is, you'll see so many of these guys want to get into real estate. And they'll do they'll go to work for 150 bucks an hour and then they'll try to get into real estate and start doing things that someone else would be willing to do for 45, 50 bucks an hour. And it makes absolutely no sense to me. So I came up with this concept called putting your price tag on time. Andrew, I think you'll like this one, because really, if you take your annual salary and divide it by 2000, which that's the average work hours in in a year. Well, that that number is now your price tag on time. If you're doing anything around your house that doesn't bring you joy or doesn't earn you more income than your price tag, stop doing it. Start outsourcing it. I'm hearing words like my virtual assistant's doing this. That's a a primary example of somebody else lives in an area where $6, $7 an hour is a very good wage in that country, but they're uh, earning that from the U.S. where $6 an hour I mean, you're you're below the poverty line, well below the poverty line. You might even be homeless at that point. Uh, in their country, that's a, a very good wage. So you guys are outsourcing your time or outsourcing your money to buy back time, even within your business. And and the the the, the aha moment that I had was whenever I was uh I was drywalling inside one of my rentals, and I had a guy on bigger pockets who was like, Look, guys, if if there's so many people who go to work for like 50, 60 bucks an hour and they come home and do th- work on the rentals for like something someone would do for 10, 15 bucks an hour, like drywall. <laughs> and I remember being, having that mud on my spatula, spatula and being like, God dang it, he is right. And the guy said, he says, well, what you're really saying, that time you're spending away from your kids and away from your wife, what you're really saying is that their time with you is not worth 15, 20 bucks an hour. So how about we start living with integrity? And man, that hit me home. I mean, it hit me like a brick wall. I dropped my spatula right there and said, all right, I'm going to go spend this time with my kids and I'm going to hire somebody else to do this. It's exactly how it happened. It worked out perfectly. So I love that concept. I like what you guys are doing. I want to move in now to like you guys, uh, Andrew, you talked about the systems and the processes that you guys have in place to make hotels and motels actually actual remote. Uh, and, and what I said earlier about taking the economy of scale of multifamily and applying it to short-term rental. It's exactly what you're doing because you can get eight, 10 units all in one, you know, all in one building. Uh, why, why, what's the benefit to doing that versus having eight, 10 units spread across town? as far as expenses and stuff. Oh man. Well, geography matters. Geography matters, especially there's a massive cost saving when you have to maintain or clean just 
you know, one area of the town. Um, and I'm actually going to take you backwards a little bit. I'm actually going to kind of change up uh, the way maybe our listeners, your listeners are, are probably thinking about this. And our approach to motels is actually a, a more long-term approach. Uh, it's without converting them to actual apartments, having the luxury to keep them as motels, but outfitting them uh, with a kitchenette, opening up the wall that is the backside of the bathroom, adding a kitchenette and a burner, including a sink, uh, including a GFI outlet, uh, some beautiful backsplash and some cabinetry. Now you have a studio. So yeah. we take motels, we turn them into studios and we can do short term. And we do, we do a couple day night stays. We do weekly stays. We do um, monthly stays, hopefully monthly stays. They're much less volatile when you do monthly stays. Um, we make a lot more money on weekly stays. If people want to spend money, they can spend money on weekly stays. We get, we get people that want to pay weekly because they just don't know where they're going to be next week. But yeah. they come and pay. They say, hey, what's your weekly? It's 400 bucks. Wow, 400 bucks? Yeah, it's 400 bucks. Okay, I'll pay it. That's fine. That's, that's a good deal. It's better than an Airbnb. So if you take four times, you know, that's 1,600 bucks a month for a, for a studio. Where are you getting $1,600 a month for a studio? Uh, it almost sounds criminal when you think about it. But our, our systems are as, are, are, are as simple as any other business that, that does something similar to what we do. We have our maintenance team. We have our cleaning team. Uh, we have those that uh, typically the grounds people, if it's, if it's motels larger than 20 units, we have someone on the grounds at all times. So that, that person doesn't necessarily need to be um, maintenance trained. That person doesn't, that person does not need to be someone who knows how to do drywall. That person doesn't need to be someone that knows how to do, but they do need to coordinate with our maintenance and cleaners. They do need to be able to pick up after others. Um, and you just basically have this motel that thrives as more of an apartment complex um, without, uh, you know, all the, all the actual leases, lease agreements. We don't do those. Um, and, and just cleaning people that come and clean up or maintenance guys that come and maintain when, they, when we need them. Are you listing your rooms on the short-term rental platforms? Um, sometimes we do. Yeah, sometimes we do. We actually get a lot more. Uh, us and our partners enjoy having long-term people and we don't necessarily need to right now. We're just not in an economy where I have to post it on Airbnb for long-term stay. We literally use Zillow. We use Facebook marketplace Craigslist, and we're able to fill these within minutes of posting. Um, we also don't compete, you know, apartment complexes are asking for background checks, deposits. You know, we don't do any of that. We don't have to. Um, if you misbehave in a motel, guess what? You're out. <laughs> You're out. Local PD shows up. Get out. I mean, it's beautiful. We don't, we don't have to worry about the eviction moratorium. You know, we don't have to worry about, you know, some of the silly laws that are passed by the left. Sorry, I, was, I, I told myself I wasn't going to get political <laughs> on this podcast. Sorry. Sorry about that. But we don't have to worry about that. We, on, we say, I know, right? <laughs> we, we say, here's a place for you. We're not calling you a tenant. I'm not having you sign an agreement. You do electronically agree to my rules as you check out on my checkout or when we send you uh, the link to pay. But when you don't follow those rules, you're out. And everyone's on their best behavior. I've only had to do that one time. Everyone, and, and when I did it that one time, 
the police showed up and they left before the police had to get nasty. So they already know you, you could have a pedophile in room 22. You could have a really awesome traveling nurse in room 23 and they could be right next to each other. No one's bugging. No one cares because everyone's on their best behavior. What is your avatar of a guest? Is it, is it location dependent? Like what, what class of folks are, are, are your uh, standard guests? Yeah, it's a great question. It really depends on the asset and where it's located. Um, most of our most of our guests are between ages 25 to 40. That's where most of our guests are. That's the age range, which is which is kind of strange as it's young. Um, for here, here's an interesting stat. For uh, one of the for the White Mountain Motel, it's close to a large operation. They're building a $130 million wind farm. So we get a lot of wind farm employees and they come and they, they stay and they pay, they stay and pay exactly what we asked them to pay. And they're great. Um, in another one in, in Northern Arizona in Pine Top, um, there's a lot of older folks actually in that one. And I guess it's my more retirement area and people come in with their social security checks and they fill in the difference. I don't know where they get the difference, but I don't ask. And they, they make the payment. Um, but yeah, between 25 and 40. Um, a lot of young people, a lot of young people that don't get you know married right off the bat. They don't have tons of kids. We're seeing that more and more. So single life and studio life or efficiency unit, unit life is, is becoming more and more of a no-brainer, especially as inflation increases, especially as rents hike up. Um, you know, I joke with people, the, the, I check inflation based on the cost of avocados. Avocado is probably one of my favorite things because you, you make you make one of the greatest foods ever is guacamole. And guacamole didn't used to be three bucks for one avocado. So I'm thinking to myself, hold on, if we're if we're leasing out these rooms for less than market rent, our guests can make guacamole <laughs> and, and they're happy. I joke, <laughs> I joke with people like that, but they're they're anyways. My point is we make affordable places. We don't do subsidies. We don't do we're not subsidized, right? It's we have affordable units with everything you need. You don't need to call the utilities company to turn on the electricity. You don't need to set up power. You don't need to set up sewer, water, trash. You don't need to set up internet. Heck, we have a TV. Heck, it's furnished. You know, stay as long as you like. The way yeah. I like to look at the way I like to look at like short term, and it's I get we shouldn't call it short term rentals. It is a motel, but essentially, you guys are like the Seven Eleven of real estate, right? Where yeah, are that's willing cool. to pay more. Uh, where multifamily is kind of like the Walmart, like the people are willing to pay, pay more. You're selling convenience. You're selling exactly what Man. you said. Move Man. in, turnkey ready. You get a room tonight. You don't have a lot of background. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of commitment. And and you know people who are mobile or transient don't really want to commit to a certain location for an extended period of time. They don't want to commit to furniture. They don't want to commit to to a mortgage. They're just looking for a place to stay right now. And then they move on with their lives and you guys yeah. kind of fit that need. And motels usually, uh, I like to use the word hotel over motel. For some reason, that M over that H has like a better sound to it. Uh, but but I, I, I like that thought process, of, you know, pretty much just selling the convenience of, of a place to stay to people. Yeah. And Jacob, what, what, what is it uh, you were going to say? Yeah, well, the cool thing is, they, I mean, they don't have to stay for a long time, but they could. Um, like they could stay a year, they could, they could get approved instantly and lease it out for an entire year. Um, and so like the area that 
I think we're both really excited to get into now is uh, Southern Texas. So the eight unit apartment complex is in McAllen, McAllen, Texas. Um, the 70 unit um, motel that we have under contract right now, 75 unit is in Brownsville, Texas. So that's right next to Elon Musk's yeah. SpaceX. Um, it's right on the border. And um, for us, it's uh, the more people that are there that can't qualify for traditional rent um, just because they don't either don't have citizenship or they don't have proof of income, proof of employment, they get paid in cash. So that's awesome for us because we accept them all, you know, we, and they can stay as long as they want. And it's, there's no approval. You are approved. You can move in right away. Um, and, and so for any other like studio apartments, um, which is what we're kind of defining these as that there's just not that kind of scenario that people down there, you know, can have. And so, um, this is an awesome market that we're super excited to go into. I think I know the property you're talking about down in Browns. It's got a pool on it. It does. It does have a pool. Yeah. A uh, two-story, two, two, maybe three-story building, tan-colored. Oh, I bet he's talking about the other one. I bet he's talking about the one that they he wants us to walk first. The seller wants us to walk before we go under contract. Maybe, yeah. Either way, either way. By the time this, by the <laughs> Does time it have a breezeway? Goes, Does it have a breezeway? I don't remember. I, I remember looking up Brownsville, and what I liked was Elon Musk's test facility was down there. But what I didn't, I just didn't have a network of people down there that I could rely on or a way to get down there. And never heard of Brownsville, but sounds like you guys are making it work. Uh, the question I do have is: Are you guys taking every room and adding a kitchenette? to every room. So what does that, what does that look like as far as CapEx expenditures per room? Uh, like whenever Our you goal is to be anywhere from 8,000 to no more than 15 grand per room. Now that, and that's just the kitchenette or the whole room? No, that's the whole room. That's the whole room. Um, that can vary, right? If you, for example, this 100 unit that it's the hundred unit that we were talking about the other Brownsville one, this hundred unit that we're going to walk. We're, we're under contract with the 75 unit, this hundred unit we're going to walk. There's a massive, that's in Harlingen. Sorry. There's a massive cost savings with volume. Anytime in business, you, you jack up the amount, the volume, the quantity, there's a big possibility that you can buy in bulk. You can buy labor in bulk. Okay. You can buy service in bulk and that, that's a, it's a beautiful thing, but, um, it varies between nine to 15,000. If it's smaller, it's going to be a little bit more expensive per unit for sure. If it's larger, it's going to be much, um, much more cost effective. That includes kitchenette, burner, uh, microwave, a hood, cabinetry, um, countertop, flooring, sometimes uh, drywall repair or, or uh, uh, texture, repaint, LED, flush mount, um, lighting, right? Um, new vanity, new vanity mirror, new vanity lights, um, reglazing the tile. Sometimes we don't even change the tile. We just reglaze it, you know, and it's this beautiful, white, beautiful, you know, clean room, maybe two-tone room or bathroom. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways that we find shortcuts, uh, without, um, really spending money on the stuff that people really care about. And so that's, that's what I love about the economy of scale that we talked about, right? Because people, people, uh, there's a lot of short-term rental uh, interest in the short-term rental pe world and people immediately think single family. And what I like to ask people is like, look, check it out. If you've got 10 different houses, you got 10 different roofs to replace. But if you've got a 10 unit, you've got one roof to replace. 
If you if you've got a 10 unit and you got a manager, he's got one place to go visit versus the 10 different homes. So literally taking that that multifamily mindset and putting it in the short term uh, or hospitality hospitality space. This is how the big hotels really uh, make their money is it's through savings. It's not necessarily through the bulk sales. It's a lot of the, the bulk savings uh, because the prices aren't necessarily that much different for what you get. But you're able to save a lot. Your staff only has one place to go. They don't have to run all over town. Your cleaning services don't have to charge you extra for gas and time and transit and all that because everything's in one little spot. Uh, and 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 that's that's a very good concept. Even on the construction side, like you talked about, you're buying things in bulk and selling them at retail. Uh, just like buying wholesale and then being the Seven Eleven and selling <laughs> the same bottle of water. Uh, for a dollar fifty at the Seven Eleven, you can get thirty of them at Sam's for the same exact price for about three, you know, three bucks. So <laughs> it's a great concept. Well, that's sometimes I do that with with multifamily uh, on a sixplex that we bought. Um, I had a guy come in and said, I told him, "Hey, I got three units for you that I want you to replace the windows on." And he's like, "Oh wow!" I actually started with one, which replacing one window is going to cost me close to four hundred bucks. I said, what if I gave you two? He's like, yeah, I'd give you a little bit of discount. I said, what about three? He's like, okay, well, if you, if it's three, 250 bucks per window. I'm like, wow, that's almost half of the original. I said, what about all six? He's like, oh yeah, I'd give you a sweetheart deal. 199, 199 a window. And, and I do that same thing now with these motels and say, Hey, I want to take these units, just these units. And so I start there with my quote and I said, okay, great. What if I gave you everything? What's the best you can give me? you know and anyways that's a, that's a whole other podcast episode but yeah, it's a, yeah. awesome so, so let's talk about the markets that you guys are looking at you're in uh, Arizona Texas and Florida and and why yeah so i'd say that that area of texas at least um yeah there's a high there there's a ton of people that aren't able to qualify for traditional apartment renting um the population is is booming in part because of Elon Musk's SpaceX and also um, just because there's a lot of infrastructure being built down there. I, I actually, I wholesaled an RV park um, because there's a lot of RV parks in the area because it's close to the coast. It's like 15 minutes from uh, the beach and everything. And I went down there and I flew into McAllen and like I was, I was expecting some dumpy, um, I was expecting to kind of land maybe in like a third world country because it's so close to the border. But it was nice. It was like California, but not crowded, like not as crowded as California. Ooh, that sounds nice. And it was really cool. Um, and so I cruised the, like all along McAllen and into Donna um, and Westlaco and that whole area. There's there are new houses. There, there's just so much new housing. Um, Population is growing and it's nice and clean and people just take pride in ownership of, of the businesses that they have. And so I think it really fits our our demographic of who we're looking for, at least in, in Southern Texas, which is kind of where we're about to acquire the eight unit apartment complex and the, um, and the 75 unit. And then Andrew lives, lives in Shola where he's acquiring the motels, right? Yeah. I, I'm living where I'm working. I actually moved my family to the area where we're, where we're working um, temporarily while we stabilize these. Uh, we, we look for conservative markets, right? Areas where they're not going to enforce rent control areas where people are flocking to areas where populations are above you know, 20,000 to 50,000 minimum to above quarter million people, um, universities, hospitals, attractions, lakes, streams, beaches, 
This, these are economies we're looking for. Places where people by the age of 25 to 40 typically want to live. Um, it's pretty granular, but when you look at all the data and you look at rent rates, you look at availability and inventory, that's ultimately what makes our decision. Well, as far as you said inventory, I know one of the reasons we got into hotels and motels is because the inventory and in multifamily really started to drive drive people out. Not that there wasn't inventory, the affordable inventory or the inventory yeah. that made sense for our style investors was just diminished to, to damn near none because the institutional money just kind of pushed a lot of syndicators out, right? So we, uh, I, had a, I had a hotel kind of fall in my lap, the eight unit in Louisiana. And as we were talking about the, uh, you know, what's the cap rate? Well, it really depends on how good you are as an operator is what the cap rate is. Uh, the, the selling cap rate, it can be whatever the market bears or whatever somebody's willing to pay for it. But what I noticed was there's a lot more inventory. There's, there's, there's actual off-market deals, mom-pa operations looking to get out in the hotel-motel space versus multifamily space, larger multifamily, there's not a lot of mom pa operators anymore. It's all professional, institutional uh, people who are, you're not going to get a deal from. They know the value, they know what it's worth, they're not tired of doing it. They, they're, they're turning and burning for a profit. They're not trying to just get out and retire. Are you guys seeing the same thing as far as, uh, I heard you say, Jacob, that you wholesale to RV park, which which tells me that you're, you're looking for off-market deals and you have some sort of system in place to, to reach out to these mom-pa operators. Uh, what, what are you guys seeing as far as inventory in the hotel industry? Oh, I would totally agree. I mean, you know, one of the, this property, the one in Brownsville is actually off market, but I, I reached out to a realtor and it had been on market for a long time before and nobody was interested in it. Um, this other one in Harlingen that we're about to get under contract, it's been on the market for over a year. <laughs> we had a different one, that we wanted to get under contract, the seller ended up backing out. But there, I, I think people are, they think of hotels as hotels and running them as hotels, and they don't want to be a hotel owner. They don't want to run a hotel. But if you're approaching it, like Andrew's saying, where you're approaching it like running an apartment complex, an extended stay could be short-term, extended, or long-term. Um, I, yeah, I think there is a huge opportunity that is uh, either being overlooked or it's, it's not, uh, it's just not as, popular or straightforward as, as traditional um, apartment complexes are. But, um, and, and we were running the numbers that, yeah, it's literally the, the cost per unit is like half or even more than half of what we're seeing for, you know, between motels and, and apartments. So, yeah, I would totally agree with that. A lot of people uh, tend to look at multifamily asset classes. They want two bedroom, one bath, three bedroom, two baths. They try to stay away from the studios because it's such a transient market. Like you can charge more per square foot, but your turnover rate, and your occupancy is, is fairly low. Um, so what are your turnover rates high? Your occupancy is low compared to like long-term leased uh, multifamily, especially in today's market. What are you guys seeing as far as occupancy with, uh, with this model? Very standard 80 to 85% total occupancy. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, it's funny because each, each asset is so different. There's so many different variables in that question, right? Um, but if you were able to take a look at an asset that required background checks, deposits, qualification, everything else versus something that's already done for you and you already qualify, 
and there's no deposit. You just step right inside. It's fairly easy to fill these, very easy. Um, because of the ease and convenience, uh, it's usually much higher than most people think. Most people think we're like half booked and that's not the case. Like we're very close to 90%, if not higher. Um, I stay conservative when I talk to investors and I say 80, 85% is a goal target reality, but we're, we're typically much higher than that. Um, you asked a question about finding these deals like off market. Um, I think one of the greatest ways is to communicate with brokers and agents and let them know, listen, I want your weird motel, boutique motel deals, boutique hotel deals, uh, stuff that's, you know, minimum 20 units to there's no cap, you know, any like 300 units, 300 rooms, you know, send it to me. And some of the best I, uh, some of the best products out there are only two story. They're not three story. Okay. Three story gets kind of crowded, especially imagine having, you know, uh, 150 units and you have a third story. It's just a lot of strange people of that demographic popped on top of each other. Um, so we focus on two story only, uh, for the most part, there's three story. We'll, we'll still look at it. Um, we do like there to be some ample room in between the units or the rooms. Some of these motels, Ramsey, they, they look like apartments already. Some of the boutique motels, if you look at the two story kind of with the railing and the landing, they look like apartments already. You're like, you think to yourself, that thing's an apartment complex and it's not, it's a motel. And if you're thinking that already, then you got to buy it. And once you convert it, you're, you're, you're golden. You typically can buy these things at a fraction of the cost of what apartments go for. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It, it, you say that the three story. It's the the two that well, we have one under contract now, but the one that we have is two story. And three story is kind of like not high enough for an elevator, but it's too high for anyone to feel like it's convenient to do that flight of stairs all the way up to the third story. But like, so I get what you're saying with that. So your your customer, I don't I don't want to stay on the third story of any hotel. I got to go up the stairs every day. So yeah, are you guys? Because uh, I see a lot of people actually converting hotels, full on like old, uh, you know, like quality ends into apartment complexes now, and they're doing long term leases. Have you guys looked at that model and compared the, the convenience versus the income, and said this model works better for us because of why? Yeah, we have. We we definitely have, and. Uh, we actually have a friend, Jacob and I, who does this, and he says it's a mistake if you don't convert them, you know, th through the city and yeah, rezoning. Yeah, rezoning, I guess. is yeah. Rezone into yeah. multifamily commercial. He said it's a big mistake. And I'm like, why? You know, uh, I, I kind of like the um, flexibility of having a motel. It's really preference, to be honest, Ramsey. Um, there, is a, there is a stigma, and it, it is true, I guess, that an apartment complex a 20 unit apartment complex is worth more than a 20 unit motel, even if they're the same size, even if they're the same square footage. You can get financing on a 20 unit apartment complex much easier than you yeah. can get financing on a 20 unit motel, right? So your exit strategy is a lot cleaner, it's a lot simpler. Um, some people say, uh, our friend has said, and I don't know, yeah, I mean, he, he does have like 13 or 14 under his belt already, that it could be as much as three times as more valuable. Imagine buying a motel for a million and then um, without doing minimal, just minimal work, you just converted it and did the rezoning on it. Now it's worth 3 million just because it's an apartment complex now. Yeah. Like just hidden, hidden profits and equity, just boom, just 
jack it up just because you rezoned it. Um, the lease agreements, I mean, we, we're all landlords here. So y'all know, y'all know what you're getting into with lease agreements. Um, I, I'm still way enthused by having a motel product with the flexibility of coming and going, staying as long or as short as you want. And the only agreement you really have is an electronic, I accept checkbox that comes on your phone. Um, you know, that, that's, that's where I'm at. We could totally change it up. Go ahead, Jacob. Sorry. Well, and I think that's where um, kind of Andrew's uh, business, um, buymoretime.com, um, that's like the, the real competitive advantage of, um, or that's the real reason why there's, unless we're exiting, unless we want to sell off and do 1031, um, like there's, there's so much automation, uh, automation and systems that Andrew and his team already have in place that it's not exhausting to run a motel. It's plug and play. Um, it's, you know, you know, you don't have to dump all this time and energy into it. Like, you know, like a lot of the motel or hotel owners, owners do. Um, it's, it's really systematized, which is why I think, yeah, like you were saying, Andrew, it's, it's not as beneficial. Um, it, it, yeah, it's not as beneficial. I feel like when, when you can do it just as easy, um, but do it short and extended instead of just extended stay. Let's, I guess Ramsey, if you had the choice, if you had the choice, Ramsey, to take someone's money at twelve hundred bucks a month to sign a lease versus take someone's money at twelve hundred bucks a month, where they're just there as a motel guest, and they're going to be there for a year. Both both scenarios, they'll be there for a year. I mean, which which one are you going to go with? I definitely like the flexibility of being able to to kick out somebody who's not abiding by the rules immediately, right? And 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 leases are leases are you know, handcuffs on both sides. It's handcuffs for the tenants, it's handcuffs for you. It's good because it's it's good steady money, but the moment they stop paying that money, the lease protects them uh, longer than it does if if they're not on a lease because you don't have any, you don't, you know, as long as long as they haven't already paid up front or even if they have paid up front, you can you can refund them that. But there's rules in every state that protect you for transient stays as a, as a, as a owner, much more than the lease will protect you as the owner uh, for somebody who has to go through an eviction, especially in the pandemic. Whenever we saw the eviction moratoriums, like there were people who were paying for other people to live full time. Uh, right. And you still have your expenses. You still have your mortgage. You still, as, as the owner, you still have all of your expenses and overhead, but people aren't, aren't having to pay. Yeah. What exactly. I do want to talk about, Jacob uh, and Andrew, is you guys talked about it's easier to finance multifamily than it is a hotel. And I've seen that to be very true. And so I see you guys have opened up your uh, Iron Toro Capital Fund to be able to fund this, at least on the equity side. Uh, talk about talk. Walk me through the process of, of setting up the fund and what do you use the fund to do and what leverage does that give you as an operator? Yeah. So yeah, so the fund, um, yeah, we we're doing it through a program. It's Bridger Bridger Pennington's program, the Black Card program. I think you're you're familiar with it, right, Ramsey? Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think just like you said, the the idea to start a fund is is just that. Um, we want access to capital to be able to, you know, close on close on deals and, and not have to worry about going through all these, um, yeah, all these. Uh, financial institutions to get funding. And so, um, yeah, we, we are in the process of getting our legal docs all ready um, to launch the fund, but we have a, a target $50 million raise for the fund. 
and it will be exclusively for um, buying motels and converting them into apartments. 55-0 million? 5-0 million, yeah. And what, what, what type of fund did you guys, are y'all going with? Yeah, so it's, a, it's an equity fund. Um, and so it'll be a 10% uh, preferred return to the LPs. Then it'll be a 80-20 carried interest split. And then once the, once the LPs hit a 20% IRR, uh, then it switches to a 50-50 split carried interest between the GPs and the LPs. Is that a, it's a regulation D? Yeah, it's a re regulation D 506C fund. Okay. So you guys have the ability to advertise to that. Correct. And because I'm, I mentioned me and uh, my partners last weekend were in Vegas at a, a fund symposium. It wasn't Bridgers. Did you guys go to Vegas to Bridgers uh, fund symposium? We actually didn't. <laughs> we joined, <laughs> we joined his group and everything and everybody's so bummed we didn't go. We should have, but we just, we were busy. We're, we're doing other things right now, but so we went with, uh, to Joel Blocks with Bullseye Capital, and I want to kind of compare the two because how how much is it costing you guys to set up your fund, your uh, Reg D five hundred six C twenty five thousand twenty five thousand, and so twenty five thousand gets paid up front, and then I'm guessing that's an expense to the fund itself, right? So that gets uh, calculated in the expenses of the fund, or is that out of pocket for you guys? I, want, I mean, I'm sure our accountant wouldn't mind if we expended that. I mean, I'm <laughs> yeah. sure we it. Yeah, it was out of pocket for sure. It was out of pocket, but yeah, um, yeah no, we uh, we paid that out of pocket so that we could build this, and and it's on top of just building the you know getting with the attorneys and you know building the PPM and the LPA and the actual uh, SEC filing, we can. Um, we, we can lean on other people who are fund managers themselves. You know, they, they actually do this. They're in real estate funds right now. They've been through the pitfalls. They tell you how they've raised capital. Um, we have some yeah. great sources for capital being raised already, but we're going to have to continually raise more. Go ahead, Jacob. Sorry. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, we have a team of coaches who've been, and I'm sure the other program does too, but yeah, even just the other day we were on with our coach that, Hey, I just helped one of my students in the program raise $110 million <laughs> from a, from a firm or from a, uh, a family office. And so um, I think the network has been really helpful so far um, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> how, how is this 50 million in the first round? Yeah. So what we do is we create a goal um, and we raise that capital on an evergreen fund. Um, with within the site of a six month to one year. So we have a one year goal. It's actually a one year goal to raise the 50 million. Um, but we are, we are creating an evergreen fund. And what does that mean? Evergreen? Continue so, yeah, it, it'll always be open for new investors. So it's not closed. It's evergreen. It stays open. New investors can come in. You don't really oversubscribe an evergreen fund. Uh, you have a target. Um, Close-ended funds kind of end after five years. Um, ours will continually, continually grow. Um, yeah, or we could, or we could just make it a closed-ended fund and then just build another fund on top of that. It's, it's pretty crazy what you could do inside the fund space. In fact, one of our first <laughs> ideas was to build a fund just to acquire these motels. This is fun. Check this out. You build a fund just to acquire and fix up these motels. You use a secondary fund 
to buy turnkey assets, which are the motels you just fixed up. So you have two different funds going on, fund one and fund two. Fund one is to fix and acquire. Fund two is to buy turnkey assets. And you could be the GP on both of these funds. Sounds like a big conflict of interest, but <laughs> they're telling us. Yeah. I, would, I would say, yeah, that, that, that does sound like a conflict of interest, but if you have disclosure on it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You just, you got to be extremely transparent, extremely. You have to disclose it. That, hey, listen, we're, you know, we're going to have the first whack to sell these assets to a turnkey fund that we also manage. If you want a part of that fund, you can also be part of that fund if you want as well. If you don't, you don't have to. But we have two different, you know, this was the general idea in the beginning, which we could still do. Right now, our biggest focus is just raising the 50 million in this first fund. Yeah. But back yeah. to your question on, on having it. Go ahead. Yeah, having it hard to be financed. Um, I mean, I, I think it's a really good option. Um, yeah, to have a secondary fund that can buy it as a turnkey because it, it puts the LPs in the first fund, the acquire and fix at ease because they have a guaranteed buyer in the second fund. And the second fund is picking up high cap rate properties that are are rolling anyway yeah i'm <laughs> i i think it's i think i think it's a serious yeah consideration that that we would we would do something like that so 50 million dollars like that is a massive amount of money to raise what's the strategy on that like how, how do you guys go from from you know Basically, like you said, Jacob, your your cash out refine your own home doing HELOCs uh, to all right, we're gonna raise fifty million dollars. Like there's gotta be a strategy behind this. Cause if you go for fifty and you land on twenty, does everybody look at it as a failure? Well, I I mean, raising twenty million dollars in my mind is never a failure. But if what like is it is it we're gonna raise fifty in one year? There's there's gonna have to be a strategy behind that. I'm interested to hear what 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 like this Bridger Pennington's program help with connecting you with the family offices. Do they help connect you with fund managers who are looking for a lower cap rate or a lower pref than you can provide and you can still provide that? Like how does that strategy uh, look for you guys? Yeah, so it's honestly raising money is something I've been doing for a long time. Raising capital is really about building trust and showing proof of your value. If you can show proof that you can do what you say you're going to do and you are an honest person, you're going to be able to raise a lot of money. And really, it's you're building a funnel, right? You're building a network, a brand, and you're showing proof of your current projects over and over and over again. It's this repeat cycle of content, proof, um, storyboard. You're, you're you're moving on to the next project. Hey, we just acquired this next project. Who wants to jump in? You're building this massive funnel. You're giving away tons of value. You're giving away tons of content. You're giving away tons of help, and people want to jump in. Now, depending on the fund that you or the type of fund that you set up and the the type of um, minimum investment that you set up. I mean, there's I've seen Reg A's that are like twenty five dollars is your minimum. Right. Um, obviously, that's an actual SEC filing that you would have to file. But there's so many different types of um, ways to jump into this. One of our minimum, our minimum is hundred thousand dollars. Right. We can we can make exceptions as a general partnership to uh, decrease that amount uh, to jump into our fund. But the way I've raised capital in the past doesn't change the way I raise capital in the future, and and that's literally showing the work showing the value you provide investors, mitigating risk, 
um, and and really just getting them inside your funnel. That's huge. If you can't if you can't do that, you're going to struggle raising capital. I yeah, agree. and I think I think um, just over Andrew's career. I mean, he's he's been doing it eight nine years. I mean, you've you've raised Andrew's raised millions already um, just through syndications. So um, I'm lucky that Andrew has a really you know, a, a big network of high, high uh, net worth individuals. Um, some of some of them, I, I mean, you have one guy, Andrew, who's worth almost a billion dollars, right? Um, and so I think that, and then also um, the program gives us access to coaches who are in with family offices, and then um, also uh, a, a, re, uh, a couple of different resources where you can you can try to contact family offices yourself. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, good luck with that. I mean, I, I, it'd be I'd be borrowing you guys' confidence. Uh, Fifty million is we, we're looking at our fund being at five million to start with. Kind of the same concept though, going after small boutique hotels and motels. And I'm interested in some of the uh, automated systems that you guys actually use. So let's let's selfishly, I got a couple of questions about the tactics, the tactical side of your operations. Let's talk about what uh, what systems, like named systems, do you guys use at your hotels and motels, like? What's the, the, if you had to implement four or five things into a brand new motel, what are you going after? Number one is reservation key. Reservation key is one of the greatest open-ended softwares out there for long-term, short-term stays. Think of, if you're, if you're familiar with Airbnb, if you're familiar with short-term rental platforms, think of Guesty on steroids, okay? Um, it, it's an amazing software. Um, the UI, the user interface, looks very terrible. Looks like it's stuck in 1997. But its functionalities are... It's the most feature-rich software on the planet. It's called Reservation Key. And what um, is that's after trial. Um, bookings. Um, you pay in the portal. Um, guest reservations. Um, you can automate cleaning and automate maintenance. You can set up reports. You can find out what your total yields are. Um, you can uh, message through it. Uh, it, it. It's you can even set it up on your site to have an actual map of your motel with different units, and they can you can have the client or the guest click on the unit physically if they're using an iPhone or if they're using a you know a mouse, and it would open that booking reservation. They could pay right there. They could they can extend their stay. It's an incredible software. Um, another software that we love is Ring Central. Ring Central is just a phone software. Pretty simple. It, it communicates with almost every single app that you have out there. Um, another software we love for communicating with investors is Go High Level. It's like click funnels on steroids, uh, as one of our friends likes to coin it. Um, I'm, I'm sure you might be familiar with Go High Level, Ramsey. If not, I'm sure you know what click funnels is. I know. Uh, it's a Okay, Go High Level is a funnel builder meets MailChimp meets AWeber meets um, text message blaster meets a social media manager. Meet, I mean, it is just the all-in-one software to keep in contact and be omnipresent. Grant Cardone talks about omnipresence all the time. You want to be omnipresent, use Go High Level. Okay, it's only 200 bucks a month. It's amazing. Um, another software we love is Eufy. E-U-F-Y, Eufy Security. Uh, Eufy Security is a security camera company. They don't charge monthly subscriptions. Um, they have all types of cameras, and their best camera is a solar-powered camera 
that you'll never have to charge ever in your life. You don't even have to hardwire it. You literally set it up and it's there forever. Probably be there after the atomic bombs drop in 2020, 2029. Okay. <laughs> there. You know, you'll always know what's going on in your motel. Um, heck, we put those in our, in our offices, in the office lobby area of the motel. And we know when someone's coming, we know when someone's going. We see them, no one's in there. It's, it's an empty desk. It's crazy. So, Ring Central, Eufy, go high level, reservation key. Um, if you're into project management, you need to manage your, your motel projects. We really recommend Salesforce or Asana. Those are excellent softwares. And Jacob's got extensive uh, experience with Salesforce. I have a lot of experience with Asana. Yeah, we use, uh, I like Asana as well. So let me, let me ask you this. So you talked about outsourcing some of this stuff to your VAs. And, I, and when I went on your guys' website, there was like a little chat box down on the right to ask me a question. I, I imagine that that's a, a virtual assistant that just kind of funnels the information until it gets to a level where you guys need to be involved. What, how are you running these hotels, motels to where like there's a lot of just data coming in, right? Where does that data go? And when does it actually get to you? Because you talked about your SOPs, which are standard operating procedures, right? But then you have kind of your emergency operating procedures above that, where this is outside what my VAs can handle. Um, is this kind of how you guys look at things? Is, does, does most of the stuff go to your VA to get sourced and outfitted and kind of pushed to you guys uh, in like a package uh, dashboard style? Like, how, how does that work? Yeah, so we we push everything on to Buy More Time. Um, Buy More Time, again, a company I own, manages all operations in the motel. And just like mentioned before, it is ran by our virtual team. Our virtual team has different levels. We have just the regular CSR, customer service representative. We have a manager. We have a sales and relations pro. Um, and then we got as, a level as high as owner, which is, would be me. Rarely get anything gets to my desk because it's all managed by the manager and their supervisor. So it's tiered very well. Um, I come from a corporate background. I used to be a manager at J.P. Morgan Chase. So I, I literally copied and pasted what we did at the bank over to this company years ago. And this is what we have left. So um, super structured. I don't, get mu- I don't get bothered much at all. I get reports all the time. I get notified, hey, this is what happened this week. New reservations, um, some cancellations, some credit card reversals. Um, we, had, we have something called incidents where they're, they're uh, typically uh, stressful situations or incidents with guests or with uh, employees. We have an incident report. I, it sounds like Corporate America 101. Uh, which is exactly what I want to leave and, and, and avoid at all costs. But we found out that if we're very organized and we have the system and like you said, SOPs, which we're so religious about, it's our Bible. It's what tells us how to do and what to do, and where to do. Um, we're going to run a very clean, well, well-run system. That's awesome. And that, that, that is kind of uh, what gives you guys the ability to buy back your own time and your own businesses because somebody else is handling the problems. Like right now, our little hotel in uh, in Louisiana has a hotel manager. It's got two of them. They're on site. We bought it as such a year ago, and we're trying to implement some of these systems. We looked at Guesty. Um, we looked at a couple of, like right now, we use Anon systems, which like you said, it's uh, stuck in the 70s. The interface is horrible. It sounds kind of familiar, the reservation key, because you can do a lot with it. It's just not 
uh, as user friendly as I would like. But I'm interested because part of our brand in the hotel is, or maybe this is just a limiting belief, is the front office ladies and their charm and stuff like that. And they're, you know, they work for I think they 12 to 15 bucks an hour, small town in America. So that's a, that's a living wage there. And um, that the customer base that we have right now wants to see those ladies there. Like they, they kind of expect it, but we're trying to attract other customers, more youthful customers. We went and had a photo shoot done with a couple Instagram influencers out there, you know, some, some more trendy photos to attract um, a little bit more youth to it. Cause people that stay that right now, our average customer is 50 to 75 years old, right? It's a different demographic. And that just goes to show you how different business plans and different regions have different, I call them avatars of their customers. Uh, so we started posting, uh, listing some of our units with a bit more of a theme to it on some of the short-term rental platforms. And sure enough, a couple of the bookings started coming in from a different customer base, kind of like a whole completely different stream of revenue because those people, uh, the younger, I guess, millennials, the, the you know, or, or below, uh, I don't know what the generation after millennial is, like Generation Y yeah, or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah they, they they don't want to speak to somebody when they go check into it. Yeah, they don't want they want to be remote. Don't talk to me. I want to go straight to my room. I'm dropping my bags. I'm going to do all the things, take pictures of myself, and then I'm heading back to sleep. <laughs> and they they want they want to be on short term rental platforms so they can read reviews. Uh, it's a completely different dynamic that we weren't uh, bringing in before. So that's kind of the business strategy that we're going right now. But if you're interested. To see, because one of the problems that we do need to overcome is if people are expecting someone to be there, well, then they need to be there during business hours. How do we get that that after business hours check in dialed in? It sounds like some of these systems you guys got. Uh, we need to implement our motor. yeah. Buy more time is twenty four seven. So we 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 leverage buy more time, which is twenty four seven. Man, like you you got a two a.m. guest, your two a.m. guest is getting taken care of. And that's Airbnbs, that's motels, that's, you know, wh whatever it is, everything is inside of the central hub. We actually use two. We actually use Guesty. We're one of the first users of Guesty. We're one of the pioneers. And then we use uh, Reservation Key for some larger projects. Awesome. Well, guys, what I want to do now is move into asking you some of the questions that I ask every guest and uh, see how your answers differ from them. Uh, the first question I have, and I'm going to ask each of you guys to answer it individually, is what is your definition of success? What, is that, what does success look like to you? Yeah, so for me, I've, and I've, I've thought about this a lot because I've been really, really, really miserable in, <laughs> with corporate, like in my corporate uh, career. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. Um, and success to me, where I ultimately want to get to is I want to be able to do what I want when I want to with the people that I want to be with for however long I want to be, however long I want to do that for. And so that's kind of what I've gone by. Do what I want when I want to with the people I want to be with for however long I want to do it for. That's an awesome answer. I, my answer is very similar to that. It's, it's uh, do what I want to do when I want to do it um, or do the things I want to do because I can and not have to do the things I don't want to because I don't have to. So it's pretty much yeah. exactly the same. That's, that's, that's yeah. awesome. That's a great answer. Andrew, what's your answer? Well, mine doesn't vary much differently than both of yours. It's autonomy, right? But it's autonomy and impact. I think when you can impact people, um, you're, you're, you're successful. You, you've, you've made it to a level where you can give away 
something to someone else. Uh, you hired two people in your motel in, in Louisiana. You're impacting them. That's to me, you're a success, Ramsey. When you can when you can help a family feed themselves, that's successful. Um, I think it's paired with autonomy, though. It's crazy because success is autonomy because you're giving someone else a chance to make a living. It's crazy. Like you're gonna win. You're you have the freedom to do what you want, when you want, how you want. But simultaneously, other people are elevated because of it. And that to me is success. That's awesome. So the next the next question is a little bit the darker side of that. Is what is your what is your biggest mistake, and what did you learn from it? Go ahead, Jacob. Man, biggest mistake. Um, Andrew, if you have a, if you have an answer first, I need to think about it for a minute. I have so yeah. Many. So I got many. you. I, I got my biggest mistake, man. I got I got a list of them though. I can't just give you one. <laughs> you said biggest. Um, my biggest mistake is not investing as big as is not investing in myself as fast or as big as I should have in the beginning. I should have invested in myself big time and faster. I lost so much time. Heck, that's why I named a company Buy More Time because I figured out that time was like literally jewels to me. Time, time was platinum to me. Time was everything to me. And I, I wasted time. So I would say uh, my biggest mistake is loss of time and not thinking big enough in the beginning quick enough. Another big mistake is selling anything. I shouldn't have sold anything I bought. Nothing that I bought, I should have sold. Um, I, I, we bought, I bought over 150 properties. I, I shouldn't have sold any of those. At any time, should have kept them. Anyways, I hope that was enough time for you, Jacob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, my biggest mistake, I'd say, is just focusing on the wrong goals. Um, so when I was working, you know, right out of college, my goal was to become a level ten employee. Because a level ten employee gets a hundred thousand dollars. That was my big goal. And then my next goal was to become a level eleven employee in three M, so I can get <laughs> so I can get a ten percent bump. Um, and it was, uh, and, and I didn't really, so that, you know, Ramsey, when you asked the first question, that wasn't my goal. You know, my, my goal, I, I never kind of took a step back and say, okay, what's my real goal? Like, let's say, you know, let, let's, you know, let's say money didn't matter. Like, what, what do I want to do? And so I kind of, I, I think if I would have had that goal from the beginning and really thought about it instead of trying to, I think, I think I was like became indoctrinated with like the college, you know, college corporate rat race and everything like that. But, um, I, if I would have had that sooner, um, that it, it, I just got so miserable that I really had to take a step back and say, okay, what do I really want? And how do I get there? And so I don't know, everything, every, every hard thing though, it, it, every mistake happens for a reason. And if you learn from it, it builds your character and everything. Um, and so I don't think you can grow as quickly without mistakes. Um, so it's, uh, but that's something that, you know, I wish, I wish I could have had a little bit sooner. Yeah, it it sounds like you climbed to the top of the ladder and then realized it was leaning against the wrong building. <laughs> that's a, that's a powerful thing to think about because I bet there's a lot of people. I expect I know there's a lot of people out there right now that just climbing a ladder. Right. Well, this is what I do, and I got to get to the top of it. But is it the right ladder? Is it one that you care to be on the top of? Because that once you get to the top and you realize it's the wrong ladder, you don't just get to jump to the next ladder. You got to go all the way back down. And yeah. start over on a different one. That's right. Yeah. And I, I, I'm with you, man. I've, I've been in the military for 16 and a half years and I've climbed and it's, it's, there's no difference. It's a corporate ladder. 
you get you you work hard, you get good evaluations, you get promoted. Now, I love what I do and I love my service to the country. Don't get me wrong, I'm gonna do my 20 years, but after 20 years, I'll had enough of it. Climbing, climbing a very good ladder, and there's a lot of benefits to my ladder. But at the same time, I see the ladder that I want to be on, and I'm climbing it. I've got one leg on both, right? And you just can't climb fast enough doing that. Yeah. So it, it's a powerful thing to think about, like which ladder am I climbing and is it leaned up against the right building? And once you realize that, man, it's 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 powerful because you there's no time. The best time to get started was 20, 30 years ago. The next best time to get started is right now. Right. So uh, people who wonder and like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to wait until X is done to get started investing. And a, a quick story about that. I, I'm in the military, so I get a lot of military people come up to me and we have very busy schedules. Right. I mean, we're deployed. We're, we're, if we're not deployed, we're training. If we're not deployed in training, we get a little bit of time off. People ask me all the time, Ramsey, how do you find time to invest? And my answer to that is I don't have time not to invest because what it's going to look like at the end of this 20-year career, if I don't have something replacing that income, it means I get out and I go start another ladder and work on that for another 20 years. Well, by the time I'm done with that, I'm 60 years old and I can finally retire. And that to me sounds like learning how to dance when the party's over. And I don't want to be, I don't want to do that, man. Like I want to, I want, I'm living, bro. I'm L-I-V-I-N. Once I hit my 20 years and I'm out, I've already started this, uh, this, this real estate investment I'm about eight years into it now. And I'll be able to transfer directly out. And to me, I'll be a success because I'll be able to do things on my terms when I want to, for however long I want to, with who I want to, just like you said, Jacob. So. I appreciate that, man. That's that everything you guys are saying kind of hits home with me. Talking about time, talking about success and mistakes. This is good stuff. So the last question that I'll ask you um, is, is because this is the real estate investing podcast, what really bruises your bananas about the world of real estate? Like what, what, what do you hear a lot in the real estate world that you just want to set the record straight? So that, you know what, that's, that's, that's bullshit. Let's, let's set the record straight on that and, and put it out to the people now. <laughs> I think I know Andrew's answer. What is mine? Uh, debt's bad. Yeah, I hate I hate when people say that. Debt's <laughs> bad. Debt's bad. I'm like the anti-Dave Ramsey guy. I love 99% of Dave Ramsey stuff. The 1% I can't stand is, oh, I, I, you, shouldn't, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't get any sort of debt at all. You should pay cash for everything. Well, thanks, Dave, because if I would have got that loan for 170 grand back in the day, I could have had eight. $100,000 in equity. Thanks, ma'am. Thank, thanks, yep. Dave. Now, the thing that bruises my bananas, another thing that bruises my bananas, and it's not so much as in real estate, it's the 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 latte factor. Have you heard of this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bro, yeah. I can't stand it. Like, I, listen, I, I made my first million buying whatever I want, doing whatever I want. Okay, it wasn't, it was, and I had a latte factor. Okay, it's, it's probably eating out daily. It's it's and I did it every day. It makes me happy. It makes me happy. Like I I like to go enjoy solitude and eat something or or drink something and just have some time to myself and think. And and even when I'm in my office, getting outside of the house or outside of anywhere I'm working and and, and getting something for me that only goes to me, that's an investment in me. And the whole latte factor is garbage. Throw it in the garbage. It's bull crap. Don't follow it. Yeah, I agree. So is this a yeah? Is this like real estate things that bother us, or just anything in general? 
Well, I'll tell you what, I'll open the, well, it sounds like you got something you want to say, brother. <laughs> this is my well, show. For, I'll let, we'll do whatever for, we want. <laughs> well, for real estate, it's, um, it's actually something that makes me kind of happy because people, but it, it does bug me when people say it's not the right time to buy. Prices are too high. Now interest rates are increasing. Why would you ever buy anything, any sort of real estate? But it, it is the right time to buy when it's the right deal and it's the right exit strategy and it's the right hold strategy. Like it's always time to buy if you have the right strategy. There's never not a time to buy if you, if you, you, know, if you have what you're going to do down and you know what you're going to do. And so that kind of bugs me. Um, but the, the thing that I was going to say is just um, I'm just seeing a lot of, um, and Andrew, I don't know if you tagged me in this, but there, there's just a lot. There's always a lot of um, just people who, um, I guess, just feel like they need to, they, they demand more from their employers. They, um, they get mad at CEOs who make, a, um, who make millions of dollars a year. Um, they're furious that they're furious that Elon Musk is worth however many billions he's worth. They're furious that, uh, that Tim Cook is worth however many billions they're worth and they're paying their employees not as much. And what makes me so upset is that there's nothing stopping you from making just as much as, as Tim Cook or as Elon Musk. Um, and I get that, you know, W2, I get that em- employers should treat their employees fairly, but I'll, you know, I made up my mind a long time ago. I'm never asking anybody. I'm never going to ask my boss for a raise. If anything, I'm going to ask him for less money because I'm going to be making my own money. Um, and so if somebody, you know, it, that, that's just kind of what, what gets under my skin where, where people, um, they, uh, I guess it's just the, you know, feel entitled or, or um, they feel, they feel that they need to be treated a little bit better. And I'm all for treating your employees fairly, but at the same time, you can, you can, your gross income at the end of the year can be whatever you want it to be. You just have to, you just have to find a way to do it. So. I agree. You want to hear something funny about, uh, I had a conversation the other day at the bar about, not at the bar, uh, it's definitely at the, the breakfast bar, um, about s- the difference between a millionaire and a billionaire, right? So I'll see if, uh, if you guys can tell me how many seconds are in, or how many days are, does a million seconds equal? Just throw a number out there. Like 2,500. A million's like a, a week or something, right? Or a million seconds. It's 11 days. 11 days. Right? Oh, man, I was way off. <laughs> How about a billion seconds? Isn't it like 30 years or something? <laughs> something crazy. 37 and a half years. <laughs> wow. That is wild. Elon Musk is worth, I mean, it's, it's not liquid, but $270 billion, right? Whoa! I don't know what that is. It's like probably seven, eight hundred years, uh, <laughs> right? If you made it, if you made a dollar a second, it would take six hundred something years to get to his net worth. And that just kind of it, it helps kind of equalize the playing field when people talk about like or like understand the difference between a millionaire and a billionaire. It is it is not even relatively close. It's it's I mean, I, the, the, it's hard to fathom. The difference between one and two billion dollars—it's—it's it's a whole billion dollars, right? But I so I want to I want to comment on both of y'all stuff because uh, Andrew, you talked about the latte factor. I read the latte factor. I read Dave Ramsey's stuff. I do think that there's a target audience for those, and it's it's you know it's somebody's up and coming who does not have um, business acumen, doesn't have good uh, financial literacy. They don't understand kind of to to put some aside and save for a rainy day. If you're listening to this show, you've got to graduate from that shit. 
because that is for an 18 year old kid who doesn't understand predatory lending. They don't understand uh, how to balance a checkbook. Well, I don't even know if balancing a checkbook is a relative term anymore. <laughs> they don't understand income, expenses, a PL sheet, right? And it's just to get your feet wet on saying, look, don't go out, like put some stuff aside so that when you get to a certain level and you understand assets and liabilities, that you can make an informed decision on what's worth your investment. And the Dave Ramsey stuff, I remember coming home uh, when I was like an E5 in the military, you know, four or five years in the military, doing the Dave Ramsey stuff where I'd take all of my money and put it in envelopes, give it to my wife. And she would give me, you know, she put some away for Christmas, put some away for all the holidays and the birthdays, you know, had all these envelopes we were stacking up. And she gave me back three envelopes. One was for fuel, one was for food, and one was for entertainment. And the one with entertainment in it had 75 bucks. And I was like, this sucks, dude. $75 is not enough to entertain me. I need like I needed to be $750. And I was yeah. reading the latte factor. Don't drink Red Bulls. Don't dip. Don't drink expensive or don't drink expensive whiskeys. Don't do anything that you love is pretty much what it was telling me. And I was like, man, investing is horrible. But there's a difference. I wasn't investing. I was saving, which is the thought process of work hard, save a lot, put it aside, and eventually you'll be able to live off of that. We got to graduate out of that stuff, which is where, you know, detach yourself from Dave Ramsey. And Dave Ramsey puts out some investing stuff. But what Andrew's talking about, bad debt, bad debt is bad debt. Bad debt is going out on a boat. Bad debt is going out and getting something you cannot afford to use for yourself. But then when you understand assets and liabilities, well, you may go out and buy a boat. Well, how can I turn this into an asset? Well, what if I rent it out to a local charter fisherman? Or if it's got a cabin in it, I do a Airbnb, right? What? How can I make this? How can I afford this? Now you're starting to get into some of the Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad stuff. How can I afford these things? And you understand opportunities. And it really does take until, for most people, it takes having a job for a little while, stacking up, getting a little bit comfortable and saying, I've got some money. I don't know what to do with it. And then you really start to educate yourself. But if you yeah. stick to just save, 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 that's your only mindset. All you're end up going to do is lose the race to inflation and end up being somebody who can't wait till you're 67 so you can collect full Social Security and actually retire. And like I said, it's learning to dance when the party's over, right? The lights are dimming down. Garth Brooks is coming on. Last dance is playing. <laughs> you know, everything's starting to fade and you just now get your, your, your chance of freedom. And it's too late for me. And, and that's exactly what Andrew was talking about is invest in yourself quick and hard. Educate yourself. Take action. Uh, a couple of things that you guys said on this podcast, like this, this motel's kind of an experiment for us. You're going to start small, figure it out, dial in the processes, start a fund and scale. And it's business one-on-one. But Jacob, the, uh, I mean, we could get into a whole world of discussion about, uh, you know, fair incomes and all that stuff. At the end of the day, the people that everybody hates are the employers. These guys yeah. are... These guys are the ones who can lose it all. Like Andrew lost, what, five, $5 million <laughs> worth of real estate because you took the risk. So if your employees were the, were your employees' names on the, the loan? No. You know, were, if you would have foreclosed, would the bank have gone after them? No. So you took the risk, you get the reward, but on the other side of reward is, is, is the risk. So <laughs> right? that's, the, that's, the, that's the flip side of that coin. That risk that you took means that your friend's got to, foreclose on you or you got to fall bankruptcy for five years, you can't start over, right? No bank's going to loan to you anymore. 
So you put yourself on the line and, and you know what? It didn't work out that time, but you got your you got your tuition to real estate college. And now look at you rocking and rolling. You guys are going after 50 million. So, man, a lot of good nuggets on this show. People listen to this. I mean, this is good stuff. You guys are uh, about to start your fund. Uh, you've got you've got a track record going. It's uh, about to close on your fourth motel. You've got some systems and policies in place. If people want to learn more about how to invest in your fund or reach out to you guys, get a hold to you and, uh, and put some dollars behind you, give you some of that ballast, how do they do so? You can email us at info at irontorocapital.com. Okay. Info at irontorocapital.com. Okay. What about your social handles? You guys, uh, anybody reach out to you social media? I know, I know Jacob, I know you're pretty active on social media. You reached out to me, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I would either reach out to Andrew or, or me just directly on Facebook. Uh, Andrew, Andrew is way more active than I am. That's <laughs> like, that's where you've syndicated the majority of your deals, right? It's yeah. It's Facebook. all been Facebook. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Andrew LeBaron, just look me up on Facebook. Send me a friend request. Yeah, yeah go, go into the uh, From Middle Class to Millionaire Facebook group and reach Heck out. Heck yeah. That's where it's at. <laughs> the best, Facebook, plug the right best Facebook group in all of Facebook, Middle Class to Millionaire. Get on there. Yeah, yeah you guys are doing a great job. It's, it's hard to build a Facebook group. There are, there are billions of Facebook groups. So I think you guys are building a really good community. Um, I think it's a, it's a cool concept and uh yeah i mean you doing your podcast and everything it's uh i think it's going to be a cool really cool uh place for everyone it's a great community so far so yeah, you remember cool. you remember in um you remember in basic training or or maybe in football when your sergeant or your coach would say it's a great it's a great day and what was the response to be alive <laughs> that's right to be alive sir <laughs> yeah it's a great day to join the facebook group sir <laughs> <laughs> yeah log in right now sign up all right guys we're gonna go ahead and wrap up the show and uh i hope you guys consider me in your network uh looking forward to following you guys on your fun and uh hearing more updates about your successes your failures hopefully a lot more of the the former than the latter and cool guys let's go out there and make some dope Thanks for listening to the Gorilla State Investing Podcast, where we give you the ground-pounding truth about what it takes to be successful in real estate. Learn more at realfocus.org slash gorillastatepod.